Hey, all right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself. As always, thank you for joining the show, man. Look at you, taking time out of your day, helping support a beautiful, beautiful cause. And the cause is to spread out health and healing and wellness to you and everyone and ultimately the world, right? The world can really use a nice shot of mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. It's what we're trying to do on the show, so thank you for joining. As always, what a fantastic show we have today. So we have two amazing guests. Now, this, this couple, B and Azria, they are the embodiment, at least in my life that I know, of a really healthy, flourishing couple. When they are alone, they've looked at themselves enough to know how they show up in the world and the very things that are their traumas, that are their triggers, the things that they need to work through, and they've put in the work on themselves. And thus, when they're together as a unit, it's really powerful because you get to see what love is like without fear. That's the love that we all deserve, whether it's with ourselves or in partnership. So they're coming to the show to share their secrets of how they increase their bond, how they deepen the bond, right? How they perpetuate the bond over and over every single day, right? Because every single day you can fully be in love and then the next day maybe you're really holding on to fear and you're really angry about this and that. But they share with us all of their tips on really how to create a deeper bond with your partner. So if you have a partner, if you don't have a partner, regardless of what it is, they're coming here to share the secrets of the universe, and I'm really excited. So before we get to that awesome, amazing, in-depth, get your notepad ready because there's a lot of gems that they're going to give us. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best and they're always at health events and people are loving them and their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. 
This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. What a special guest episode we have today to my friends B and Azria. Now check this out. They're stewards of this transformational platform which I am so much behind because I had recently read their book, Becoming, with a Q, and it's been so powerful, informative, and just an easy guide to really understanding yourself in relation to yourself and each other. What an honor it is to have you both on Heal Thyself. Mm. Thanks for having Glad us. To be here, brother. Yeah, man. It's, I, I'm very excited for both of you and what you're bringing to this world. We're just talking off air how I read the book, and it was powerful as it was easy to read. Right? It was as true as it was just applicable. So that's the type of information that I love for the people. That we can just make transformational change and we don't feel overwhelmed. And we can relate to the people who wrote it. So I just want to bring a lot of love into this amazing book, Becoming, with a Q, um, and how it's going to change many lives. And it's, it's going to explode. I'm very mm. excited. Thank you. Thanks for reading it. It's a big deal to read a book, like from from start to finish these days. There's so much content and options and we're like oversaturated from every direction. So I'm really honored that you took the time to read it. A hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> all, all I do is the audio books, like when I'm on my walks, mm -hmm. but to sit down and really get back to like reading words on a screen or a page, I haven't done that in so long. And you got it like printed out from the copy printer. It wasn't yes. even a book. Yes, I got. The, I did the old school way, <laughs> the 90s way. You got it early. I got it early, but I'm, but amazing stuff. But one of the major things that I notice uh, as a theme throughout is relationships, your two relationships, but also our relationship with the universe. What have you found in a lot of your work with each other and other people is the biggest obstacle to connection in a relationship because so many of us are in relationship and we can't find depth within it. Mm. We can't find depth within ourselves because we're scared. What's driving that fear so much that we can't really understand what love is? Because I remember Disney and that was my definition of love and many people's. And what is love? What is truly to be in love with someone? Mm. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I feel like there's a couple I'm different questions. Yeah. yeah, let's unpack them. So the first question was like, what is, what is at the core of the fear that keeps us separated from love? And I would say the one word answer is trauma, like unprocessed trauma. And I think 
being trauma informed or understanding how trauma works is a new thing in our society, but it is it is a, there's a movement around understanding trauma. I think that's it's occurring that's really necessary. Um, I think a lot of people, myself included, and I think you as well, for a long time believed that trauma was really like very severe, very extreme circumstances, you know, um, like severe physical abuse, for example. Um, and so me on my journey of, of healing you as well, we're like, we're, we didn't have trauma in that way, the way that some people do. So we didn't necessarily relate to that term. But as we've gone deeper down the path of becoming and really doing our deep work, we're realizing actually there's a fair amount of trauma there that we wouldn't have necessarily seen as trauma, but experiences that have shaped us in a dramatic way that have made us closed down. And sometimes those have been very subtle experiences. You know, depending on how sensitive you are as a child, and most children are, are very naturally very sensitive, even a parent ignoring you or raising their voice at you or having a, a nervous, you know, breakdown in your presence that you don't know how to hold space for, these are all things that could make you, on some level, feel traumatized or your, your nervous system registers it as trauma. And the way that it works is because you don't have the coping skills, especially as a child, to actually move through that experience and process it and, and, and come out the other side being like, wow, that shaped me in a positive way. The nervous system kind of traps the energy in the body and it doesn't have the tools to move it through. So basically we grow up and we think we're mature adults, but that aspect of us was like, is like frozen in time. Mm -hmm. And so in relationship, because you can't hide in intimate partnership especially, but in, a, in any in intimate relationship, you know, that reflection of another person, it's like peering into the depths of your soul and you start to see all these aspects of yourself, some of which are, the, you know, five-year-old Dr. G, mm -hmm. who's like, hasn't been able to move through something that happened maybe with his parents or in school, um, and that part of you can kick in and then essentially try to protect you. It's like that part of you doesn't believe it's safe fully to be yourself mm -hmm. or to allow love in. Because even the people that most love you, your parents, are sometimes not a safe place. And so when in relationship that comes up, that version of you kind of takes over. It's almost like just like a, a, a switch flips and this, this other version of you steps in and is now having the argument with your spouse or your partner instead of, you know, mature, grown-up you. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? Like, where did that come from, right? Why did I have that huge re overreaction or that trigger or that burst of anger? It's because it actually doesn't have much to do with the current situation. A lot of times it has to do with all of these other situations in the past that were never processed fully. So that's a big part of the journey of becoming is, is being willing to, like, unpeel the onion, go deeper into those, those layers and start to integrate all of those aspects of yourself so that when you are showing up in relationship, you can bring all of yourself and you can fully receive the other person with all of their light and all of their shadow, all of their traumas as well. Yeah, I think I'd just add too that, um, like if I, if I look at myself and look at say my previous relationship, um, when I ended that relationship, I could have written you a, an entire book of all the reasons why she was you know, responsible and all the things she did wrong. And in doing the work and really about looking at myself and taking ownership for the fact that in, in relationships, you co-create everything. We live in a society that likes to blame. Um, but when you take complete ownership for the way you showed up, with, in doing the work, I realized that she couldn't show up the way I needed her to because I wasn't showing up the way she, I needed 
to. One of the, the tools I think that is most powerful in relationship is to take 100% ownership for uh, everything because it's all co-created. Mm-hmm. When you look at yourself and the ways in which you've shown up, uh, it allows you to show up differently. Co-creation is such a powerful word, right? Because a lot of times I can go, I did not co-create her being a bitch today. Mm-hmm. Like that is not my co-creation. How could I have attracted that? But really what you both are saying is to look deeper, to stop. And there's there's some really interesting example that we that was talked about in the book is when you feel that coming up to get back to your truth and and feel really like what is in here for you because maybe the way that she's presenting as what you quote unquote call her, oh, she's really bitchy today, is the very thing that you need to experience, correct? David Data has, um, talks about, he has a chapter in his book, um, The Way of the Superior Man. I think it's, um, women are not liars. And, and he, you know, he's, he's writing the book for women, but you could reverse it, right? Um, <clears throat> but a lot of times your partner shows up and you say bitchy, right? Shows up in a way that, that doesn't feel in alignment and also like you don't understand why they're showing up this way. Um, but I think also looking at deeper or taking it a layer deeper is, is, uh, in that situation, maybe she's showing up bitchy, but what's really happening is she doesn't feel safe in the relationship and she doesn't understand that consciously at a subconscious level. There's, she, she doesn't feel safe. And so she's, she's mad that you didn't take the trash out, but she's not really mad that you didn't take the trash out and you're taking it literally and saying, Oh, uh, you, you have no logical reason for showing up this way. And so you get in a fight. But the deeper work is understanding why she feels like she needs to show up in that rela- in the relationship in, in that way. There's something that's bothering her and she doesn't know how to express it. So it's coming out in, in random ways. And so I think also stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and saying, okay, there's something underneath here that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Which happens many times because I'm sure everyone who just heard that can relate and go, yeah, I got into a big fight about the dishes. And and I have no idea why it went overboard because there was like three dishes in the sink or something like that. But really, when it's something like that, you're saying there's, there's always something deeper. Typically, you use the word trauma before, but like those little traumas or those things that we think now as adults were, were, weren't significant, but as we had talked about as children uh, were, I think the the real thing that's happening is is you, those traumas create a feeling of not being safe in this this life suit, this body, this experience, this universe. And so really trying to find why why do I feel unsafe and really addressing the root issue because the trash is not the issue, right? Taking the trash out is not the problem. Um, there's there's something that's making this person feel unsafe, potentially. Yeah, like a really common dynamic, I think, between men and women is when women don't feel seen or which which will make them not feel safe right if they're if they feel like their their man is distracted or just ignoring them or focused on a million different things not them that creates a feeling of not being safe and so you you know the, even though it's not necessarily logical a lot of times that will create some kind of bitchy behavior or anger because they'd rather have any reaction than no reaction. So if it's just neutral, it's like it's easy to ignore someone, right? But if someone's like yelling at you, it's a lot harder to ignore them. So they're trying to get some form of reaction, which on a subconscious level is saying, hey, you care about me. Mm. Even if we're getting in a fight, at least you're here and you're present, you're engaging with me, right? I'm, I'm, my, my energy is having an impact on you. So that's a very unconscious kind of 
toxic feminine expression of wanting attention, wanting to feel seen, wanting to feel loved, but the root of that is not feeling like that true presence is being given. And then for men, a lot of times, a very common defense mechanism is, is just to shut down, to, to be like, I can't with this, to, you know, to leave, um, and to, to do kind of the, exactly the opposite, right? Which then only amplifies that feeling for, for, the, for, the, for the feminine. And, and when I say masculine, masculine feminine, I want to be mindful because a lot of times these, these polarities are, are really reversed, you know? Like that, that behavior could show up with men and women in the exact opposite yeah. way, right? It's, it's, it's not so much about the gender and it's a lot more about just those polarities, but understanding who's holding which polarity in the dynamic is really helpful. And then understanding what's the real desire underneath this. The masculine is, tends to always be striving for freedom and the feminine tends to always be striving for love. And so sometimes those can feel like indirect conflict with each other. But if you understand the polarities of masculine and feminine more in general and, you, and, and you're not waiting until you're in a heated moment of complete breakdown in your relationship to like try and figure out what's going on, but you're actually doing the work in between so that when those moments show up, you know, you're, you're actually ready for yeah. him. That's really where the magic happens. And then a lot of those defense mechanisms can come down. And a lot of, like, we don't, we really don't argue or have, like, fights in, in the way that I think we're both used to from previous relationships. But when we do have, like, something doesn't feel good or we're like, like, what was that? We always stop and are like, okay, how am I co-creating this? What am I, what, what, what am I contributing to this experience? And if I can just get past my ego that's like insisting on being right and I just let that go, like how can I, and a lot of times, 30 seconds later, we're like, babe, that, I'm sorry, that was fucked up. Like I shouldn't mm -hmm. have said that, you know? Um, that was coming from this place. But it's just because the awareness is, is, is there now and it's been integrated so much that it's very easy to move through those conflict situations. Mm. It, it's radical ownership, right? Yeah. That's, that's what was mentioned a few times in the book. But what does your process of radical ownership look like? It, it seems to me that you take a few seconds and really come to yourself and go, that I feel that, and I feel that that was, that was something I could have shown up, or actually, I gotta talk to B about something. Yeah. You know, and maybe that's, that's something on his side. How does it look for you? And I'd love to know how it looks for you, to be. I'm always right, so. <laughs> you see, that, 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 that's how we think, right? He literally has a t-shirt that says, I could be wrong, but I doubt it, <laughs> which I love. I tell, you, I tell you, my girlfriend was listening, and she was in this room, she said the same thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. My ability in those moments to step back and like observe my thoughts and my emotions, and then choose from a conscious place, like how I want to show up in the situation versus being like hijacked by my thoughts and my emotions. That comes from having dedicated myself for many years to doing the inner work and really like meditating and being in stillness and journaling and spending a lot of time with internal reflection processes. So I've cultivated a fair amount of awareness in my inner state. Like when I was in my early 20s and we got in a fight, I would slam the door and be like, goddamn yeah. asshole, you know, like. And then later I'd be like, man, I wish I hadn't shown up that way, right? And then there's like shame and guilt and apologizing and that whole cycle doesn't really have to happen anymore because there's a real ability to intervene through awareness. That's really the ultimate tool. And to say, okay, I'm feeling this surge of energy or this emotion. What is it trying to communicate with me? Because I firmly believe that everything is serving me. So no matter how uncomfortable or unpleasant the sensation, even if I would label it as like anger or resentment or judgment, there's some kind of gift in there. It's illuminating something for me. Instead of reacting, I would say, I just try and respond. And I respond first and foremost 
within myself. Like I create a dialogue within myself, with myself, meaning my awareness, and then my thought and my emotion. Those are all separate entities that can communicate with each other. It's really taking, going into that witness state as much as possible, not repressing or numbing the emotion or trying to get rid of it, but just like stopping, taking a breath, feeling what the emotion is, feeling how it's manifesting in my body. If it's anger, it's like hot and, and you know, charged and I feel energy in my throat and I wanna say something that I know I'm gonna regret. Um, and sometimes if it's really charged, I might need to take a second and go off and like, sit with a tree and be like, all right, what's going on here? But a lot of times we can right in the moment just kind of move through it together and be like, okay, this is what's coming up for me or this is what it feels like when you, you show up this way. This is, you know, we have a lot of language that I think helps us move through those moments. Um, I think, yeah, that's, that's probably my answer. Mm -hmm. How about you, babe? I think Azri has been a, a massive teacher for me in this. And so just seeing the way she moves through things has really helped me. We have this, this saying in the book that we, we use called trust the triggers to teach. And so when you're triggered, it's like, you know, she said it, like you, you reflect on it and say, what, I'm, what, what's, what am I here to learn, right? And when you look at it from that perspective, instead of, instead of coming from the perspective where I live most of my life of like needing to be right or trying to be right, um, it's just, it changes the whole dynamic, right? If you, if you enter into a conflict, right, in defensiveness and needing to be right, that's only going to go one way. Uh, but when you enter and say, okay, like, I'm triggered, why am I letting an external force affect me internally, right, affect my internal state? Um, and so when you look at it from that way, you're, you're curious, right? And so you, mm. you create a real curiosity around the, the challenge. And also, I think with us is there's just a deep, deep level of respect. And so when the other person shows up, there's a, a kind of radical truthfulness to our relationship. And so I, I know that if she shows up and says, this is bothering me, one, I take it really seriously. Um, and I respect and how she's approaching the situation. And so I sit with it. <clears throat> I sit with it. And so I... I, I respect and appreciate and trust where she's coming from enough to like pause and say, okay, like what's the underlying thing going on here? Right. Because when we think we're right, it's very hard to respect someone else's reaction or opinion, right? Because at the end of the day, you don't trust how they're going to show up. But it seems to me that you've guys cultivated something where if Azria is feeling some sort of way, she you have full, all his ears, all his heart, and then you take time to feel into it. Yeah, and I, I also reflect on like, um, how am I showing up that's causing her to feel this way, right? Which is another step that a lot of us miss, because a lot of us know about triggers and we talk about how we talk to our partners and even taking time from each other, but then making up. The part that we overlook is, how do I show up in order to have co-created this situation? How did I let it get this bad if it gets really, really bad in a relationship? I think the other piece, and we talked about it earlier, is, is also like, it's often not the thing. Yeah. Right? It's often deeper. And so the first thing we do is like really like step back and, and really say, what's the real underlying issue there? And so it's often not the thing that you're in conflict around. It's something deeper. And so like even this morning we were on a hike and um, I was feeling a little frustrated because we're feeling pretty overwhelmed. We're launching this whole platform. There's a, a ton going on. 
And it's like, well, what, what's going on underneath? Like, well, why are you feeling this way? What's, what's the theme of how you're feeling, right? Stepping back from the individual issue, what's the larger, um, you know, concern there? And so when you're looking at it from that perspective, again, it just, it drives curiosity. And so when you're coming at something from a place of curiosity, the whole energetic of how you approach it changes. Mm-hmm. And, and the curiosity aspect is really important because when your partner shows up and speaks their truth, it could still really trigger you. You can be like, that's, that's not true at all. Yeah. But the curiosity is like, I, I hear you, like, and I never looked at it that way, or that's really interesting. And, and just what I'm trying to say is language is really important in these, very important in these sensitive times and relationships. What is some of the language that you guys use for each other? Well, first of all, I love the word curiosity because it has an innate innocence in it, you know? And I think that's the big right. thing that, that we lose in, in confrontation or arguments. It's like we stop seeing the innocence of the other person who really at their core just wants to love and be loved because that's all we ever want in this life. And so when we can have that level of compassion with each other and see the innocence in each other, one, that neutralizes a lot of the, you know, that stuff, the like... I need to be right, I need you to be wrong, and I need to dominate you. Like, all of that stuff just kind of goes away. If one person is sharing something, and especially if they're in a charged emotional state, the other person, like, actively listening, because that's another thing that often goes out the window, is, like, once we've decided we're right, we're not listening. We're just thinking about the rebuttal. But to actually actively listen, let it penetrate what the other person's saying, and then reflect back what you're hearing. Like, what I'm hearing is that you're feeling this. And even just that, is like puts the other person at ease because now they they felt hurt. They're like, oh, you actually listened to me. Yeah. Or if you reflect back to them, this is what I'm hearing, and they're like, actually, that's not what I'm trying to say. Like, you're hearing something that's not my truth. You're distorting it somehow, or I'm not communicating it well. Like, let's get really clear about what I'm feeling and how can I express it in a way that you can truly receive it. So I think language is a hugely important part of this conversation, absolutely. I think another piece too, for us, it probably this this is less applicable to our relationship, but really with other intimate relationships with friends and family, not being attached to their seeing things your way, right? There's an attachment to like, I'm always going to convince or coerce or um, manipulate somebody to see things my way. And I think another thing that we've really worked on is releasing that attachment and saying like, there's no there's no singular truth. I think we live in a society where um, everyone's trying to 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 get other people to see things their way, and which is their truth. But the truth is is truth has many layers, and maybe that's the only truth. Yeah, maybe. That's the only <laughs> truth. And really, like not making them wrong for their opinion and not trying to change their opinion, like not being attached to them seeing it your way. And, you know, in, our, in the book, you know, at the end, we dive into some really challenging and intimate conversations related to family and friends. And at the, in the audio book we did, we interviewed my ex-wife, who's like a sister to us, my daughter, um, my mother, uh, a girlfriend we had for like a year, Mars. Um, and we let everyone share their perspective that, that wasn't always the same as our perspective in the book, but we wanted to give them an opportunity to share their voice and not make them wrong for having a different perspective. You know, my mom, for example, had some really challenging perspectives uh, about the medicine work we do with mm. uh, psychedelics, with the girlfriend situation. And we didn't try and make her wrong. In fact, we gave her a platform to share her voice. And so I think that 
And it took a while for you to get there because you were very attached to her seeing things. I was. Everything we talk about in the book um, is a practice for us, right? Like, it, we're constantly working at, at this. It's not always easy. And the people closest to you that we talked about earlier, that Ramnas quote, if you, if, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Um, the people closest to us, and we happen to not trigger each other as much, but... Um, you know, the, in different relationships you have, other intimate relationships, family, friends, the people closest to you are going to trigger you the most. And, um, and so I think it's, it's good curriculum. And yeah, it was, you know, it took, it took a while for both my mom and I to come around, uh, but nobody can trigger me the way, you know, she can potentially, right? And so it was good medicine. And, and I also, through, through it all, I knew it was medicine and I knew, I was very conscious of the fact that that curriculum that she was giving me, that that trigger that she was giving me was medicine for me. And so I was looking at it from that perspective. And so it was difficult. But when you're looking at it as medicine, that conflict you have with the people closest to you is medicine. And it's, it's giving you an opportunity to grow. Um, it changes the whole way in way you relate to that conflict. Mm-hmm. I, I, one of my favorite things that I read was instead of chastising the person, maybe you could just say thank you. Which is another, like, if you think about physiologically, your brain's like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. These neurons that never connected. Why are you saying thank you when I'm supposed to be reacting in anger? Or even I've done work, but I'm supposed to just take some time and then show up. And instead just being like, thank you. I love you for that because this is medicine to me. And what I find is the hardest part is that first step of not reacting. Because so many of us have reacted all our lives. But when we really put it into our brains that this is this is for us, for both the relationship and for me. And this is this is healing. Holy moly. Then, then we really, that's radical ownership, right? Because then you take that step in relationship and you deepen it. When it comes to relationship, what I find a lot of people saying is that they, they can't find depth in the love of their relationship. Or we were so in love in the first three months and six months. And then like, we just like live together and, you know, we don't have sex or like, we just, he doesn't look at me the way he used to, or she doesn't, she's not as fun as she used to be. What's happening in these relationships that go quote unquote stale? I think maybe telling him a little bit about the Marianne Williamson yeah. perspective. I, I think this is such an important thing to talk about because it really is this like phenomenon. I mean, we even have language for it, right? There's the honeymoon phase. And then there's like the fizzle, right? Like when things just kind of get a little bit stale and it's like, okay, we've been, we're doing the thing. And, um, and I think that that has been very imprinted for me personally in my experience of romantic connection, this explosive, magical beginning. And then sometimes very quickly, you know, that's sort of just disappearing, like sand between your fingers. And you're like, where did that go? Like, and how do I get it back? Because it's so special. Um, so when we met, because I had gone through that a couple times over the course of my life in different relationships, when we met, I had this because our connection was so explosive and insanely like just chemistry filled right off the bat, the fear was exponentially higher of like, oh my God, like how can I hold on to this? You know, and it, will this inevitably fade just the way all the other ones have? There's a beautiful reframe that I want to share because from the scientific perspective, if you read books from a more scientific lens about romance, romance or, or relationships, <clears throat> it's through this neurochemical lens, right? It's like, okay, biologically, from an evolutionary perspective, you're programmed to put on these rose-colored glasses. You're getting 
you know, inundated with all of these chemicals that are making you believe that this person is somehow perfect. Um, no one can talk you out of it. You're like, no, this is it. Like, I found my person. And you're living in this sort of fake reality, right, where you're not really you. You're, you've been hijacked by a bunch of love chemicals. And then those will fade away um, because nature is designed to get you to procreate and then, like, move on. And then now you're stuck with this person that, you know, you're, you're really not that, you start to see all their flaws. And you, this is a very, I think, kind of damaging perspective. From a biochemical lens, it's, it's factual, right? But um, Marion Williamson did a talk on, on romantic love recently that I, that I, well, I found it recently. And uh, she shared something that I thought was really beautiful. And she said, in the Course of Miracles, which is what is the backbone of her teachings, it's actually completely the opposite perspective. So basically, the idea is that that beginning phase, that honeymoon phase, is like a gift, like a divine gift of spontaneous enlightenment, where you actually see the truth of the other person. You see the perfection of who they really are beyond your lens of judgment. And it's a gift that you get to bask in and for, as a reference point of what's possible. And then over time, the illusions start to creep back in. This idea that this person is flawed or, or, or not enough or whatever the story is, that's actually the illusion that the ego creates because the ego is intent on creating separation. And the ego is always seeking but never arriving. I thought that was a really beautiful reframe. And I'm very viscerally experiencing that in this relationship. Like there was definitely a lot of fear that came up for me around like losing that magic spark. But as we've deepened into like the things we've gone through, the, the, the places we've held each other in, we've shown each other every aspect of ourselves. You know, we, we really don't hide anything. And, uh, and, every, and every layer, <laughs> and every layer has given us, I think, more opportunity to love deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience a brew that's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best. And then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well-being. I'm going to tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health-focused principles backed by solid scientific research-based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy, boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health 
animal welfare and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. She also says that relationships are designed to make you evolve from a soul lens. Like your soul is designed to evolve through being in this dojo with this other soul. And that's why they're so triggering. That's why all your shit comes up. And so it's a lot easier to, to you know, throw, the, throw in the towel after six months to a year and say, well, it's not fun anymore. But that's actually where the real work starts. And if you embrace the, the, the inner work and you do it together as a team, then the depth of intimacy and love that you can create for the long term is like infinite. Mm-hmm. And will not even compare to starting over with someone new where, you know, you're, 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 you're not getting to those deeper layers yet. And if you look at it, like the universe is benevolent. The universe is working for us. And so it's going to relentlessly give you curriculum. And, and if you look at the curriculum that's coming up, the, and one of the biggest ways in which the universe gives you that curriculum is relationships, Right and those closest to you that are going to trigger you. And so when you're looking at it from that perspective, like, okay, this is coming up. What am I meant to learn? And you're constantly going back to that. It just changes the whole dynamic of it. And and frequently and early in relationships, um, or as relationships evolve, um, we we start focusing on the, the, we get defensive and we start focusing on the problems because our own insecurities are coming up and we're blaming it on the other person. And so I think always flipping it and looking back at yourself and saying, okay, like, I'm starting to see this person differently. Well, you're starting to see this person differently. Mm-hmm. They're the same person, mm-hmm. yeah. but you're starting to see them differently. And so when you look at it and say, okay, like, why am I seeing them differently? What, what, how am I, you know, showing what, what insecurities in me are causing me to feel differently in this person, right? I'm, I'm getting more attached, so more fears coming up for me. And so as I'm falling in love with this person more, I'm feeling more insecure. All of a sudden, I'm fighting, I'm causing problems, I'm seeing the flaws in them. Why? Because of my own insecurities. And so what am I doing? I'm creating reasons for me to potentially run away from this because I'm scared to lean into this relationship. And so I think it's constantly looking at why am I feeling differently today than this person? We like to say, oh, I'm, I'm seeing this person for the first time through with the clear eyes. And Well, what you're really doing is, is you're allowing um, your own fears and insecurities to bubble to the surface and so you're showing up differently, and that's why you see them differently. Mm. Which is incredible because that parallels even whenever I was in a ceremony and working and experiencing my true self. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. I was like, I remember now. And then like three weeks later, I'm like, oh, man, why do I keep doing this? You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's the same thing. It's like you're shown what's possible. What's possible. You're shown really what the love is between you both. And people are addicted to that. That's why people serial break up and date, break up and date. They love the six months or the, the first four months or three months, whatever it is. Um, but it's that breaking point where we go, oh, man, this is scary. And now I'm ready to lean into this because essentially it is us that is in that experience and experiencing that person is different. I love that you said they didn't change. That person did not change. from It's the same person. 
But it's crazy the illusion that the ego will give us that says, no, 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 I, th that person's not to be trusted because she didn't pick up my phone at 12 o'clock at night and I made up that story that back in 2004 when I was cheated on, everything. Mm -hmm. It's wild how they, and <laughs> I love the, um, the uh, visual of the ego. Can you uh, go back onto the nightclub visual oh, with the yeah. bouncer uh, so people can understand? Because a lot of people hear ego, but they don't understand really how it sponsors their life. And I think that the visual is really helpful for us to have a better understanding. We talk about the, the heart as being this very undervalued intelligence that can really help us navigate life, make decisions like a heart-centered operating system, you know, versus just all intellectual mind-based. And so, the ego, which Eckhart Tolle would describe as like the separate self, this the part of us that 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 has bought into this idea that we are separate, which is actually from a quantum perspective not true at all. We're all connected through energy. To differentiate ourselves from that, there's a, some form of separation that occurs, right? I am Azria, and you are Dr. G, and so we have these individual expressions. Um, the ego is generally you know, different perspectives on the ego. A lot of spiritual teachings say the ego is actually like the villain, the enemy must be overcome. Our personal perspective is that the ego is just like the overzealous bodyguard at the nightclub. And um, the club is your heart, really. It's the part of you that deeply feels life and is, you know, sensitive. And there's a part of you that's terrified of feeling painful things. So you have this bodyguard that's like, no, you can't come in the club. Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to ruin this party. But the problem is if you don't let anyone in the club, there's really no party, right? You're not actually living. You're not fully alive because you're not letting things penetrate. So having that awareness when those defense mechanisms come up, whatever they might be for you, is like, oh, that's my bodyguard, my ego kicking in going like, no, you, I won't let you in because I don't want to be hurt. But what if I'm willing to feel that hurt? What if I'm willing to take that risk and actually feel that hurt? And in our relationship, our egos got very much activated early on trying to defend ourselves from each other. Like the beginning of our relationship was for sure a bit treacherous in that regard because we were, it was so intense. There was so much possibility. There was so much love, so much connection. But the more you have of one thing, the more you also have of its opposite, right? So then the fear of like, what if it all falls apart? Or what if we lose each other? What if we hurt each other? Like all of that came up too. And through psychedelic assisted, you know, ceremonial work and really going deep together, we were able to kind of like let the bodyguard take a sacred pause, you know, give him five bucks and send him to the coffee shop kind of <laughs> vibe so that we could actually meet each other in our truest truth, which was just pure love. And be like, oh my God, like, of course we're, we're in, you know? All that other stuff is bullshit. Yeah. But then, you know, it's a psychedelic experience. It wears off. It's not designed to be forever. So then you come back and over time, like, like you said, three weeks later, you're like, man, where was that version of me, right? And so to us, that's really where the magic happens is when you don't rely on that substance or that external thing to like fill you or even that new love to fill you. But you, you actually are willing to look at What's actually happening here, you know? Mm -hmm. And how can I start to let let my ego go and, and, and take a little break from his work shift more frequently in my life? How can I start doing it on a day-to-day -day basis? How can I create a relationship with my ego that's actually not um, adversarial, mm -hmm. you know? How can my ego become my friend? Like, I know it's just trying to protect me. To dance with the ego. Yeah, to learn to dance with it, exactly. Mm. So powerful because, man, how many of us uh, don't even know the bodyguard 
it thinks it's in charge. We don't even know that there's even a club. No. Nope. It's just a bodyguard <laughs> sponsoring everything, yeah. the activity. We think we are the bodyguard. We think we are the bodyguard, yeah. which is which We're is identified so. With it. Is is the world the way it is because we are identified with the bodyguard then? And none of us have created that separation of knowing that there's a club there and we are not the bodyguard, but the bodyguard's protecting us. If every human being on planet Earth could integrate that awareness right there, we would have a completely different experience of life. <sighs> like, a, it would be a dramatic shift. That's so powerful. Um, the, what I find is the fear of, of falling, truly, truly feeling the aliveness, as you guys mentioned. The more that you're in it with being, you're just like, I, I love this man. The more the fear, the polarity of fear starts coming up. How can we be more brave? How can we be brave souls and go, I'm ready to jump into this? Whether it's love, whether it's business, whether it's, it's work, whether it's a conversation with a loved one, where where do we find within ourselves, or what words can you have for all of any of us that, that can jump into that really? Because once we knock that wall down, that's that's when we're really back to being alive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it goes back to awareness in a big way, right? And so, also when we we talk about fears, this abstract thing, but really, um, fear is a fear of feeling something, right? If you break it down and you, you look at it and say, okay, like what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of this ending. I'm afraid of, of, you know, this relationship going away. And, and really when you break it down and look at, at that fear, it's just a fear of feeling something. And so when you, you know, we, we like, you know, we use the word death a lot in, 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 in context of like letting parts of yourself die and willing to, to feel that. But when you're willing to feel things fully, uh, and and you lean into that willingness to feel something because a lot of times we we create all this 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 story around what the fear is but if you're willing to just feel that thing that you're terrified of um, then it, it it gets easier and also like I think when you're willing to to go through it consciously like when you're willing to to feel something fully and when you're in it when that thing that you you were terrified of happening happens your willingness to actually be in that space and feel it fully is, is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would also answer that. You ask, you know, how can we find that courage? Like, where do we draw that from? And I think it comes back to feeling safe, not just in relationship, but in relationship to life itself. So I, I can be courageous when I feel supported by life. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. if, I, if I have a relationship with life where I believe that life is a benevolent force that actually deeply loves me and wants my highest good, I'm going to take higher risks, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more courageous in my decisions because I'm like, I'm supported. But if I don't have that relationship to life, if I feel like I'm just alone and I'm just a human trying to make it in a dark, dystopian world, which a lot of people are feeling right now, it's a lot harder to be courageous. So I think it boils down to what is your relationship to the universe? And it is kind of a spiritual conversation, really. Not that it has to be a religious conversation, but what is your relationship to life itself? You know, the, that which animates all living things, that which makes the grass grow and makes the, the bees <laughs> pollinate and, you know, makes, makes our pupils dilate. Like, what is that? That is something beyond us that is... It is us and it is beyond us and it is the great mystery, if you will. Um, but if, if you're afraid of that and you don't think that that's got your back, then it's a lot harder to be courageous. Right. Uh, and understanding that maybe 
the universe has my back, you feel that you can make those decisions like jumping off that exactly. cliff because you're going to be falling into a bed of feathers versus, as you said, the dystopian example, it's all rocks and jagged edges. Right. We can, we can be more at ease with our decisions. Um, we're just scared to be in pain, you know? We're, so we're scared, scared to feel. We're, we're scared, scared to, to feel. feel. Exactly. We're scared to feel anguish, despair, heart-wrenching, heartbreak. You know, these are all things that are very scary to feel, but these things also crack us open into deeper layers of ourselves. And yeah. so I think when you realize that pain is not an enemy, heartbreak is not an enemy. It's literally breaking your heart open to potentially receive more love on the other side. Your capacity to feel things, especially uncomfortable things, just like a muscle can get stronger, you can actually grow your capacity to feel more things. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an emotional intelligence component here that is very much overlooked in our culture. We, we're so focused on developing the intellectual mind and the physical body, but we're not really focused much on how do we create emotional resilience. Mm -hmm. And that emotional resilience is what carries on w with our relationship with ourselves and in relationships, period, whatever it is, however we go. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of us, I, I, I noticed uh, a lot of men especially, uh, maybe naturally, are so disconnected from their emotions to feel and feel the depth of their feelings, societal, maybe the way they were raised. Um, that's why I'm always in awe of men who can show up in their authenticity and be like, shit, man, that really hurt. But then comes up as like a leader in what they're doing, but then comes up as like vulnerable the next day. I was like, that is the encapsulation of, of everything, of authenticity, mm -hmm. and you're not afraid to show it. And well, they're also balanced, right? They're, the masculine and feminine within them is, because we all have masculine and feminine, and so there's a, there's a balance there. And yeah. so when you see somebody show up in, in, a, in true masculinity, it's because his feminine side is also integrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if maybe should we just share briefly when we talk about masculine and feminine what we mean, because Please. it's not maybe like what people might think. So, so the masculine is like the part of us, and again, regardless of gender, but the part of us that is very oriented towards creating in like a linear space. So like like someone who's really good at thinking ahead and structure and organization and logic and reason. And these are all kind of very important parts of the masculine pole, which we require to live a good human life. The feminine side is kind of the opposite. It's like the feeling, the intuition, the connection to nature, the, the song, the dance, the play, like that's more of the feminine energy. And when you have both of those energies working in unison, you have the perfect ingredients for life to really flourish because you really need both. Mm -hmm. You need the nurturer and you need the provider. You need, those are like more of the traditional ways of looking at it, right? But in and, <clears throat> and, and an ideal world, each individual in the relationship has both of those energies integrated. So they're not lopsided. It's not one is out of balance with the other. Like you bring two whole individuals coming into a unit of relationship, into partnership. And then there's this exponential growth that can really happen because both can tap into these different aspects of themselves. But a lot of times those different polarities are really at war with each other. And, and that's when things get really painful because a lot of times if there's war in your external reality, if you're having war with your partner, it's a reflection of the war that's happening within your own internal polarities of mm. masculine feminine. Mm -hmm. I find from a personal standpoint that uh, my girlfriend brings out of me the opportunity to, I've never been a good planner or, or really logical, but I've always been like play and flow and, you know, mm. creativity. Um, but 
because I see the importance of her to feel uh, safe and open in that space and, and her not to step into the masculine all day at work and then at night, I go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is something that's required of me for this relationship to flourish. So it's beautiful how the relativity, the mirror, what she's showing, what she's asking, is actually feeding me to be more in balance, as you were saying, mm -hmm. yeah. which is powerful, man, because what a gift. What a gift that just a relationship can do that deep healing. Because who knows, maybe I would have read a book and it would have resonated, or maybe one wouldn't have. But in a relationship, you're on that dojo, oh, yeah. or you're in spiritual boot camp, and I'm, I'm ducking under the poles and everything, and in the mud, and I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. It's like, the, it's like, you're, it's like I'm working a muscle. I feel pretty jacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's having, maturity is really having the awareness, right? Is, is maturity is, is being able to see that thing. And so just even being able to say like, my my woman is showing up in her masculine all day, then comes home and has to show up in her masculine. So I need to I need to show up in my masculine so she can relax into her feminine, right? Um, is it, having that awareness is just game changing. Right? Yeah, game changing and really powerful and strengthens the dynamic. Um, Azra, you mentioned it in a relationship. It in many ways mimics our trust of the universe. Can you talk a little bit more about that for the people who, who may have not understood the depth of that statement? Because it's really powerful. It mimics the way we show up in both ways, even outside of relationship. What's true on the macro is also true on the micro. So like the individual experience or the, indivi the, the partnership between two individuals, that, that's, a, that's a microcosm of the macrocosm, which is like our relationship with, with the planet, with, with, with the universe, with the larger forces that govern our experience of reality. And so part of why I'm so drawn to the shamanic path, working with the plant medicines, um, which is a very spiritual path, is it's, it's really about taking that lens of awareness of what life actually is or what reality actually is and just consistently expanding it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So to give you an example, like there's what we see with our eyes, right? And hear with our ears and taste with our, with our mouth. And like we have our, our, our five senses that we're very accustomed to. And most of us think that that's just what reality is. It's what we experience with our five senses. When you start pulling back the veil a bit, and um, whether it's through breath work or, or meditation or plant medicine, some kind of altered state of consciousness. Sometimes it also happens spontaneously for people, but more, more often you have to seek it out. You start to realize that there's a lot more than meets the eye, that there's actually a whole nother like, dimension of, of energy that is happening that is also having an impact on our reality but we can't necessarily perceive it with our normal waking state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I think the real safety comes when we're actually consistently cultivating a relationship with those forces, whether it's the forces of the elements. Like, if you think about it, water, air, earth, fire, right? These are all fundamental aspects of being a human being. What are the elements? They're, they're, they're essentially just energetic forces that make up our physical material realm. We cannot exist without them, right? If the sun, the fire stopped existing tomorrow, we'd pretty much be screwed, yeah. right? If the water disappeared, we'd be screwed. Um, if the earth stops giving us food as it is because the soil's really pretty jacked right now, mm -hmm. like everything starts to crumble. Um, if the air isn't, isn't clear to breathe, if our lungs are blocked, like. We, we, we simply cannot live. So from a very fundamental level, and this is why you see this in indigenous cultures or shamanic cultures, you will always see the elements as a very predominant part of the teachings and of the 
the cosmovision or like the understanding of what reality is. It always comes back to these very basic things. So it's very easy for us to understand these things on a conceptual level. It's a very different thing to actually feel the essence or the energy or the intelligence of water, of earth, of air, of sun. Like, how do you, it's just this thing, right? It's just this abstract thing. Like, how is this somehow intelligent? How is that supposed to work? Um, and so I think that is, for me personally, where a lot of my trust in the universe has come. It's come from spending time with these forces, whether it's the elements or, you know, a lot of it really for me is my connection to nature. Um, but my relationship to, to, to spirit, that which, which animates life um, and inhabits life, is, is, has come through, just like any relationship, time and attention spent on cultivating a dialogue. Like, you're not going to create an intimate, deep relationship with another person if you don't ever spend any time with them, right? You actually have to be interested. You yeah. have to spend time and invest. And it's the same with, with these forces that I'm talking about. And we have access to that all the, all time. the time at every moment. Every day. Yeah, every day. And that's why, that's why people are like, nature's so healing. I don't know. I just went to Joshua Tree and I feel different. Yeah. Or I just went out for a walk in the woods and I feel different. But all those teachers are right there and we can deepen our relationship with nature like that. Yeah. All it takes is the intention to draw that part of us. B, what was your um, what process with this? Like, um, how, what type of stuff did you do to deepen your relationship with uh, the universe? Primarily our medicine is ayahuasca. And I think one of the ways in which, um, you know, I, I, I would say that most of my life I didn't really, I wouldn't say I had a conscious relationship with the universe. And I think that my work with the medicine has really like expanded my awareness. And, and I've, I've, I've learned to cultivate uh, a relationship um, with it. And I think the, the medicine really was a huge factor in that shift for me of just kind of going into those realms and feeling, um, I think, the oneness, right? Like people talk about like, you know, the oneness, right? But that was an extra concept that I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, hippie mumbo jumbo, right? But I think actually viscerally feeling it, right? And so having plant-based ceremonies where I was just like, I had this one ceremony in, in, in the, it was like in the forest um, where we did like, a, what do they call that, a vision quest? Where the, the facilitation team was like at the, call it the base camp and then they sent you and you went off and we, it was a ceremonial context, but you were on your own. And so I would, I, I drank ayahuasca and then was in my own space, like in my little camping area, um, far enough where you could yell and get help if you needed it, but you were on your own. And I ended up taking off all my clothes. I was in it. I was deep. <laughs> and I was rolling around in the sand and butt naked. And there's bugs all over me. And I was just like, you know, eat me. I'm like one with you. I felt, I felt viscerally like this connection to the universe and to the planet and saying like, yeah, bugs. You, I literally had like 200 bites on me. Mm. I was like, just, just I'm one with you. And I, I felt that in, at, at a soul level. Like, I can't even describe it. And so when I felt that connection, then I was like, oh, wow. And all of a sudden, I started caring about recycling and caring about the how I show up and all the things we do that impact the planet. I didn't used to feel that way. And so the medicine gave me this felt experience of what that was like uh, to the point where I was, like, encouraging the bugs to, to you know, enjoy my flesh, right? Um, and so I came out of that and 
and just had a really different relationship with the universe. Mm-hmm. Con- I would say that was the biggest thing. Conceptual versus experiential, right? Yeah, and the, the medicine does that. We co- we refer to ayahuasca or plant-based medicine as the medicine, but one of the things it can do is give you a felt experience um, so that when you come back to your reality, right, the call it normal, um, there's a gap, and now, but now you you felt it, right? So it might be like, I'm calling in a romantic partnership, I'm calling in my soulmate, or I'm calling in financial prosperity, whatever it is you're like trying to manifest in your life. And you go into the medicine, and sometimes, not always, but sometimes they'll take you there. The medicine will take you there. It'll take you to this place where like, I, now I, I felt what it was like to be with my soulmate, or I felt what it was like to have oneness and be connected to the universe. And then you come back, and then there's a gap between what you felt and your reality. And so the job, the, the real work starts at that point. Mm. It, there's an integration that gets to happen. And so our, our work is to close that gap. Um, and so the medicine is often has done that in many ways for me. Early in our relationship, when the defense mechanism and the walls and the, you know, I was ready to run out of this relationship almost the moment we started it. Um, and then the medicine was just like showed me what it was, what this love was, and mm-hmm. so I had this felt experience, and then I was like, I could, I could lean into that and be like, okay, I, n- I now have a reference point to shoot for. Yeah, which is the most powerful thing because now when you're, quote unquote, back at normal, you get to shoot for that reference point. You always have that relativity. You have goal. a reference point. Yeah. Always, it's always. Super powerful. Um, I've never spoke about ayahuasca on this show. <laughs> uh, I've personally never done it. I've never been called yet. Um, but uh, for those who have no idea what it is, I know you both sit in many ceremonies and done a lot of work, and you talk about it so openly in your book and the power of it and some some great, really deep stories. I read, read the, there was one very funny one with uh, you in the room naked. Uh, <laughs> oh, second yeah. one with you naked. The second one, yeah. He has this habit of uh, removing all of his clothing. When, sh- yeah. Shedding his layers, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it happens on ayahuasca it, for it me. Does. It does, but... <laughs> but <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. That, yeah, it's happening. It's a theme. theme yeah. But a lot of, a lot of us uh, heard about it. But but um, what is it for for just to just to clear it up and and what have you found is the way that it works in the psyche? What where, what's the intelligence and what is it showing you? Um, it just so just so maybe it can pique our interest or so we learn a little bit more. It's an indigenous shamanic plant medicine that is basically a brew and it consists of three ingredients. It's made of a vine, a leaf, and water. And the, uh, the leaf is, has DMT in it. So the vine, which is actually what the ayahuasca is, vine is, that's where the name comes from, the vine of the soul, isn't psychoactive on its own. The leaf is what creates the DMT component. And DMT is something that we naturally have in our bodies, um, but it can give us out-of-body experiences, can help us dissolve that veil between what I was saying earlier about the five senses and then, like, everything else. Um, so in combination, the vine helps our body. There's a, there's a, there's a, an enzyme, I think in our body that basically will immediately eat the DMT that Mm -hmm. gets excreted because it's trying to stop us from leaving our body to keep us alive. Um, so you want to be in a very safe container, a safe environment. You want to be in, in, you never want to take ayahuasca on your own. You want to definitely have a trained, facilitator or, or shaman or someone who's holding the space and not just holding it for you physically so you're physically safe but also psychologically and emotionally and spiritually safe and so it allows you to essentially travel into this very altered state of consciousness 
which can look a lot of different ways. Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with Omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Puris O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Puri is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Puri.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Puri. These days... These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha, or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century-old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash drg they're so confident that you're going to love it there's even a 30-day money-back guarantee no code at checkout just go to p-i-q-u-e-l-i-f-e.com slash drg you're going to get 15 off plus all those freebies no ayahuasca ceremony is the same and very there's there are very different experiences for people across the board um, so my personal experience is often very out of body, very visual, like I go into other realms, I go into other dimensions, I, I can go into the past, the present, the, I can, like time dissolves, I can, it's, a, it's pretty wild for me, I'm very sensitive also and have sensitized myself over the years even more um, through eliminating alcohol and, you know, processed foods and just detoxing and all the spiritual work I've been doing. Um, some people feel it much more in their body and they don't really leave their body. They're, they're, there's a lot of healing that can happen on the physical dimension as well. So if someone has an illness or an ailment, you can actively work with the medicine to go into those areas. The medicine also does a lot of cleansing. So there can be purging, 
um, which can be vomiting, crying, shaking, twitching, crying. I think I said crying already. Uh, <laughs> screaming, more crying, more crying. <laughs> definitely more crying. Um, laughing. I mean, it can energy can move in a lot of different ways. But basically, what it does is it opens up your energetic body and starts, in some ways, doing almost like surgery on you. So, I would say that no one really knows what the intelligence of ayahuasca is because it's so vast and so profound. But to me, it feels like like an umbilical cord connecting me to the consciousness of the planet itself. And if you look at the intelligence of nature, right, you don't have to be spiritual to see how profound, profoundly creative and brilliant nature is. I mean, we, we barely understand a fraction of how like things work on this planet mm-hmm. um, or even in our own bodies. Then you're basically connecting to the intelligence that is in charge of making things be alive. And that's a pretty incredible ride to be on. So it can take you all over the map. It can take you into your traumas and make you feel, relive them so that you can process them out of your system fully. It can take you into, like Benjamin was saying, the most exquisite states of bliss, places of like, this is a reference point of what it feels like to have my heart fully open, no defenses. And then you can, you're never the same coming out of that, right? You're like, I saw what's possible. Like, how can I live from a place of closed heartedness now? Um, but yeah. I mean, there's so much more I could say. I think I would just add one thing. Um, often, like, you know, I used the example earlier where you're calling in your soulmate or you're calling in financial prosperity and the universe will give you a reference point. It'll be like, it'll it'll show you what it feels like to be, you know, with all the riches of the world, right? And sometimes it does the exact opposite. It will show you destitution, mm-hmm. right? You're alone, you're 80 years old, you have no money, No, you're by yourself. And, and people are like, wait, I was, I'm, I'm trying to you know, work on this and it's taking me in the opposite direction. What it's doing a lot of times is it, sometimes it will give you the reference point. Sometimes it, it brings to the surface those things that you're not willing to feel consciously, right? And, and a lot of times people talk about the dream state in the same way. So I think it's Michael Singer, Singer that talks about dreams in, in that way and that a lot of times your conscious mind will repress. Like, I don't want to think about this thing or I don't want to bring this to the surface. And so your conscious, your ego is protecting you. It's like wanting to keep you the same. And so a lot of times in the medicine space, it will bring you to the, the last thing in the world you want to feel, right? Some, a lot of ceremonies are very difficult. Mm-hmm. People think it's, oh, it's psychedelics, it's fun. People are having fun. Like this work is heavy lifting and really difficult. Um, I filled a lot of purge buckets, right? Um, but what it's doing is bringing to the surface those things that your conscious mind, your ego, isn't allowing you to feel so that you can actually feel them fully wow. and actually process them and transmute them. Um, because we spend so much of our lives trying to repress those feelings that we don't want to feel. We're scared of feeling it. And so, like, let's keep that over there. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to feel it. I don't want it to happen. But all you're doing, what you, re- what you repress persists. And so all it's doing is bringing it to the surface so you can actually move through it. Incredible, right? Because those very emotions, at least from my medical standpoint, are the very things that get us sick at some point mm-hmm. in our lives. Sure. We've both lost people that have had those emotional repressions or just stress or anxiety or all that pain. And in many ways, this is an opportunity for you to feel it in that session and then get it out, transmute yeah. it as yeah. sometimes vomit. Sometimes tears, more tears. As you and say. I'll say that I, I didn't realize it, 
in the same way when you, you don't eat clean your whole life, I spent most of my life eating like shit, and now I eat clean, and if I eat something really bad for over a period of time now, like I really feel it, right? Because I've cleaned my vessel, right? It's the same with the emotional body, and I didn't realize it, but I've spent most of my entire adult life in a perpetual state of anxiety. And I would wake up and immediately be stressed. And in this work that I've done, and this deep medicine work, not just with the medicine, but the whole spectrum, I now all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, like I wake up in the morning and I'm not anxious. It's not that I don't feel stress or I don't get anxiety. Even this morning I was feeling something, but like as a general kind of feeling, my default state is peaceful. And I never knew what that felt like for my whole life. And I've, I've been able through this work to get there um, because I've been able to actually let it all come to the surface and actually feel it. And, you know, ayahuasca is not the answer for everyone. It's not for everyone. And everyone should consult a doctor and all the, the things. But it's been a tool for me. And whether that tool is, you know, deep meditation work or, um, a ther- sitting with a therapist, whatever it is, but bringing, letting a lot of those things come to the surface so you can actually feel safe in the universe. And I, I could honestly say that, you know, for the first time in my life, I actually feel safe. That if I lost everything I had, um, that I would be protected um, is a new feeling for me. And profound. It's everything, right? Because you feel held and protected and benevolent, right? The universe is benevolent. It's for you, it's got your back. And we forget that, but you're feeling it in your body. What a feeling it is to wake up with peace. At, at the end of the day, it's like, can I feel love for myself, the person in front of me, the universe, and just be at peace? Like, man, how, how so much of us just want that feeling. And the human body is so incredible because we'll adapt so fast to that anxiety, and that's your new normal. In, in three months, you forgot what it was like to feel at peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm such a firm believer in a lot of my work in medicine has come to that place. It's like, you're suppressing those emotions. If you ain't transmuting them and purging them out at some point, whether it's you, like you said, breath work or meditation or, you know, body work or something, that will manifest in the body some way, somehow. Yeah, and that's what a lot of traditional talk therapy doesn't quite get to. You know, we can, we can, our minds are so sophisticated and our capacity to tell stories about everything is so sophisticated, so we can reframe things, which can be very helpful, right? To, to talk about a traumatic experience and then reframe it and see the gifts in it. And like, that's a big important part of the process. But if there's some aspect of you that is, like I said earlier, frozen in time, like that is still feeling the charge of that trauma in your nervous system, you're not moving that through just language alone, it's probably not gonna really fully resolve itself. Mm-hmm. So getting into the body is a really important thing. Even if it's a practice of just like, shaking it out or dancing it out or whatever that is. But, but like that somatic healing, I think that's the next layer of transformation that is really going to start becoming mainstream because a lot of people go to talk therapy and are like, I've been doing it for 15 years and like I'm not that different, you know? 100%. I always say the, the talk therapy will show you that there's a tree, but it won't show you the roots. The roots are mm-hmm. in there. You have to get into the body and get it out. And get and, into the subconscious. And get into the subconscious, man. I've gotten into states where I was like, oh, this is an exorcism. Like, this is where exorcisms come from because, like, my body's twisting and my heart is moving and I'm breathing hard and I'm just, like, yelling but, like, crying at the same time but then, like, burping. It's, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? Yeah. But um, I knew that if I got my 
my logical mind out and let my body in its own intelligence do what it needs to do, just like it happens in animals when they run away from a lion, something is gonna move. And boy, like two hours later, I'm sweating and I'm just like, I feel a million times lighter. Yeah. There was like a scream from 1998 that came out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, eighth grade right there? Well, that was interesting. Yeah. But um, A lot it, of times the dream state is similar, right? It, it brings to the surface those things like you're like, well, that was the craziest dream. I killed somebody or something happened, right? But it's, it's your subconscious bringing those feelings to the surface so you can actually like move through them. Mm -hmm. I, and yeah, a lot, a lot of us wake up and we go, I can't believe I was just stabbing someone in my dream. I'm such, such not a violent person. I was like, maybe you got some anger in there, you know? <laughs> maybe it's deep in there. But um, I wanted to really touch on one important thing that you communicate a lot in this, in this book, the soul's uh, curriculum. And um, it, it came in and out of the book, I mean, throughout the book all the time. And it's such an important concept for people to understand. Because when we do, I think it gives us a lot of peace and understanding of ourselves, how do you describe the soul's curriculum? We've talked a lot about things in a conceptual way, so maybe if you want to share about the little boy that can read and, and how that curriculum has been such a profound yeah. journey for you. Um, so, you know, for me, I was, I was highly dyslexic and ADD as a child and, and still am, although I've grown out of it in a big way. And so... I spent my most of my entire life feeling, you know, stupid, unworthy, uh, unsafe, right, in the world. And so that's been my my biggest curriculum. And so we talk about soul one, there's curriculum and we'll we'll dive into that, but the soul curriculum is like I was put on this earth to move through this, to to learn from this. And so my work has been largely, you know, I spent most of my life, I was a very successful entrepreneur. And that was my way of seeking external validation of, of being worthy, right? And so there was no amount of, of external validation that was going to satiate the insecurity within me. And so I feel like the, I was given the opportunity by the universe to work through this and, and get to a place where I feel worthy. And again, it's, it's a practice. Like I've made, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, made tremendous progress. And it's it's a practice, right? And so, the looking at your like, what is my curriculum in this in this this lifetime, right? And then also, I think I alluded to it earlier, but this concept that the universe is benevolent and it's working for you, and so it's going to continue to give you curriculum, and it's relentlessly going to serve you. And so, when you move through something, and all of a sudden you're at a place where you, you think you got life figured out for a moment. Yeah. What's the universe going to do? It's going to give you more curriculum so you can step into a higher expression of yourself. And it's going to continue to do that until the day you die. And so when you look at life through that lens, um, you know, we, we, I think we call it in the, in the book uh, the dimension that exists beyond problems. Like you, a, a challenge comes up or a problem, quote unquote, comes up. You're like, okay, this is the universe working for me. What am I meant to learn from this? All of a sudden, instead of being in resistance to it and being stressed and anxious about it, you're like curious about it again, and you're leaning into that. Um, but for me, my my biggest curriculum has been, and it, I, I don't think I consciously, you know, I've I've gone to therapists, I've done all the things over my life, and I've always been like, I had a great childhood, you know, and my parents loved me, and I, I'm I had privilege. We didn't have much as a kid, but like I, I I was in a great thing, and so I was like, I never felt like there was trauma. We talked about it earlier, like I was never beaten and 
you know, these kind of things. And so I've that's, come... That's actually to, not even true. That's not even true. But I've come that's to... That's how le- strong the story is. <laughs> but I've come to learn that um, I had a very traumatic childhood. Like, I couldn't read. I didn't read a book until I was in, like, I read one book till through high school. My junior and senior year, like, I didn't even have a book bag. I didn't take books home because I, I, I just didn't read. And I thought I was stupid for most of my life. And, I, you know, it took a lot of work to, like, unwind that and, and to start to feel, you know, worthy and safe in, in the universe. Um, but it's been a lifetime of curriculum to, to move through that. And, and I think up, up really until the last three years did I really, like, even see it that way. Like, I was like, I would go to therapists, but I don't know where this insecurity is coming from. Yeah. Literally, I'd be like, I don't understand where this insecurity is coming from. And now it's like, it's so fucking obvious, mm-hmm. right? This scared little boy that couldn't read has never felt safe in the world. Um, you know, school was traumatic for me. I would sit there and if the teacher said, you know, Johnny, start reading the first paragraph, I would go into just cold sweats because I knew that at some point she was going to get to me and be like, okay, next paragraph is you. And I would just go into cold sweats because it, I, and, and it was so difficult to read out loud one, from just the anxiety and the trauma, but also the way I saw the words on the page. I would read the same paragraph five times in a row and I couldn't remember what I read because I would, it would, I would have to focus so much on just reading the words that I couldn't remember what I said. Um, and that scared little boy, talk about trauma response, like PTSD came up really profoundly when we were doing our audiobook recording because he had to read out loud in front of me and the engineer. And he was like, I, I mean, he went into full... It's really incredible how the body Deep stores in the body. information. I, I would end those sessions, like, dripping sweat. And I, I don't even, even wear deodorant because cool. I don't sweat. Even though you're cool in your head, your yeah, body is just... And he knows it's he's, a trauma response. Yeah. It's PTSD. Yeah. He knows he's loved. He knows he's safe intellectually. But that part of him is like, oh, hell no. This is it's, dangerous. It's a lifetime. That's when we talk about soul curriculum. Like, that's my curriculum to move through in this lifetime. And we believe that... You know, if you don't move through it, like, you, you just get it in the next lifetime, right? And, you know, if you want to believe that. But, um, and so, and the universe is going to continue to be relentless. And as soon as I move through that, it's like, great, amazing, good job. Here's the next, you know, they, the, the universe wants us to step into the highest expression of ourselves. And what is, the only way to do that is give you curriculum, give you challenges, give you problems, which is traction, Right. It's like you, you can't, it gives you traction. Okay, like I can grow. Because you don't grow unless you have challenges. For sure. And how many of us with a really narrow consciousness would go, yeah, but look, you just, you did well in business, you know? Like, you made up for it, right? But the, the fact of the matter is, is that like, you've been gifted as a kid this opportunity that's your sole curriculum until even this day yeah. and over and over. And it manifested you know? in relationships and women. There was this need, this lustful need to conquest women because in some way it was validating to my to me, um, and so I, it it expressed itself in in business. It made me a great entrepreneur, uh, also an entrepreneur that could never be satiated or satisfied and unhappy. Uh, but also it it really manifested in in a unhealthy relationship to to women. Yeah, I had such a fear of math, and oh, I still get me. PTSD when they hit me with the check. And I'm just like, oh, how much do I put on the tip? And I always, my, my girlfriends would be like, Christian, I taught you this last week. I'm like, no, 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 I'm like, oh, I'm like sweating. I, and I talk about dreams. Every other month I still have nightmares that I'm in math class <laughs> in high school. And I have one more test to take before I graduate. 
And I fail the test every time because math is like PTSD, man. It was so difficult for me when I was young. So I, an interesting thing might be to look at why that dream keeps coming up because there's, you know, the dream's coming up so you can actually feel it and process it and bring it to the surface. It's keeping it there because there's, there's a, still a feeling of being unsafe in some way. Wow. And it's so true, right? I'm, I'm hearing this and I'm like, we, we make such small things of it because that's how many of us think. I, had a, I mean, I had a great childhood but I had some trouble in school, you know? But, like, math was always difficult. But um, you don't make a big deal of it, you know? You just, I graduated, I went to college, and I got a good job. But uh, when you really look at, honestly, look at your life and, and see those things for what they are, you were a child, you don't know better, you know? Or you were in high school, you, you didn't know that the universe is benevolent and it's got my back. It's, we didn't have these teachings. You're just, you're in it, you know? So it's, it's such a beautiful process, man. And um, when is this? Uh, so the book is out at the end of the month, right? And the platform, what else can we expect on this whole platform? Because all I know is about this book. But what, what is coming? What's this tidal wave of Becoming with a Q? By the time you're listening to this podcast, the book will already be out. Um, we're very close at, in this moment. It's a platform designed to bring transformational tools, media, and experiences to people. So the tools are everything from, like, the book, which has tools in it as well, um, and then we have two, well, there will be three, but we have multiple basically transformational online and offline processes that we'll be offering. They're like courses uh, that let people go really deep into the work and, and um, everything from, you know, recorded video content to Zoom calls to like retreats. Just to elaborate on that, yeah. there, we have a six-month process that we take people through and it's a really deep dive. And over that six-month process, uh, you build a new operating system for your life. And so you literally walk away after the, with a 200-page deck that you've built over a six-month period of time with curriculum and videos and all kinds of content and Zoom calls um, where you walk away with a new operating system for your life. And for a select few, we go a layer deeper and we do three retreats over that six-month period of time where we, where we go deeper and use uh, plant-based medicines mm -hmm. to kind of go, go really deep. Mm -hmm. Um, on the media side, so I have a background in filmmaking, acting, storytelling, and we've been documenting a lot of our journey because uh, there's one of the things that the medicine has continually shown me is that what the world needs is reference points, like case studies of people who are actually doing this work, who are actually looking within, facing their shadow, coming into a more integrated expression of themselves and willing to vulnerably share that process. Because it's a gnarly process. Yeah. A lot of it's really hard, and it's not necessarily easy to share. And so um, we've part of our curriculum, or dharma, if you will, our purpose in this lifetime is to be living, breathing examples of, of what it looks like to be fully committed to the path of becoming, both in our union as well as individually. And so our book does that. It's a very raw, uncensored, as you know, um, kind of expression and story of our of our process, but the media content does that as well. So we have um, a variety of kind of documentary style content that people can interact with and really see like, what does it look like in action? You know, mm -hmm. take it out of the conceptual and, and put it into the material. So um, there's gonna be a variety of what we call media as medicine content that will be released on the platform as well. And, um, and then the experiences part is, is you know, we've, we love bringing people together. We love community. We believe in the power of community. Um, so whether it's retreats or concerts or dinners, like 
that's a big part of our our mission is to create more in-person live experiences for people. And you're all doing that. Yeah, actually. I'm ready. Uh, listen, if you if you need anyone to tap dance at your festival, <laughs> I will tap dance or I'll do a little poem or I'll, you know, all that yeah, fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. But uh, what I will say is you're, you're getting it all covered for, for everyone who loves reading and touching books and, or audio or seeing the visual of a documentary. It, it, is, it is creating a blanket of immersion for all of us to learn and to experience what it is. And you're right, case case studies and, and, and points of reference for people to watch, that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. I watch one documentary and I'm like, I'm ready to change the world, right? But mm -hmm. these, what you're putting out there is gonna be super powerful and uh, both of you is just, listen, I'm gonna put you both on my altar because when I grow up, I wanna be like you. Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. You, you both are doing wonderful, wonderful stuff in the world and uh, we are quantumly the same. But in many ways, um, I really look up to the power of what you guys are doing. It's beautiful. The book is beautiful. Everyone go read it. As soon as you hear this podcast, Becoming with a Q, I want you to buy it and read it. <laughs> Do it like I, did, like I did. Turn off everything. Himalayan salt lamp, blue blockers, and just read it. And just, oh, it's, yeah. so, it's so good. I love you both. Thank you, brother. Thank it's been you. an honor. Thank you thank so you, much. And uh, whenever you want to come back on the show, we have so much more to talk about. All right. And we're ready for it. Man, I hope your notepad is full because so many bombs and gems were dropped by. Man, that conversation was inspiring. I feel so good about myself. I feel like running on top of a mountain and shouting the secrets of the universe that they just shared with us. And I really hope it resonated with you. As always, thanks for coming to the show and listening and reading and reviewing and subscribing. And if you haven't, support the show by doing so. I love you all. I'll see you next week.